There is shooting and danger all around you, yet every single second is spoken for. You don't have time to worry or fear. That is war. Hi, I'm Heather Fowler, and I am your host of Graceful Stories, Living and Learning That God's Got This. Today, we will learn what it was like to go to the Vietnam War and then how difficult it was to return to the country that was loved so vehemently by our guest, and how he continues to serve his country today. A few years ago, I authored a book called The Warrior. I wrote the book after our family went through a difficult event. The lessons I learned through riding the warrior helped me see that I became a warrior through, not despite my difficult time. After the book was published, I started going through it with family and friends and they told me their story. Their stories are filled with grace, strength, lessons learned and the presence of God. These are their graceful stories. Please trust me, you do not want to miss an episode. So please subscribe today and stay tuned to the end of this story to hear a sneak peek of what's to come. Hi, I am so excited to introduce our guest today. I'm blown away at all the different things that I didn't even know about this gentleman. So before I tell you his name and who he is to me, I'm going to tell you his resume, some of the finer points on it. So he was commissioned as as an ensign in the United States Navy on July 5th, 1966. He completed five years of active duty and 25 years of Naval Reserve. He completed two combat tours in Vietnam. He was recalled for extended active duty twice, once with the Naval Reserve Readiness Command, Region 11, and then also to the Republic of South Korea. I happen to remember that one. So he was a commanding officer of eight reinforcing or sustaining commands in the Naval Reserve. Uh, The units ranged from about 20 to 500 naval personnel. So some of the awards he's gotten, the Navy Meritorious Service Medal, the National Defense Service Medal, the Vietnam Service Medal, the Vietnam Campaign Medal, three period awards, the Vietnam Combat Action Ribbon, the Armed Forces Reserve Medal, Korea Service Medal, the Naval the Navy Battle E-Medal, he got two of those, the Naval Unit Commendation, the Navy Recruiting Service Ribbon, the Commander of the 7th Fleet Letter of Commendation with Vietnam Combat Operations, and he is retired with 30 years of service as a captain of the U.S. Navy. This man's name is Lee Trussell, and he happens to be my father. I have been excited to get him on this show so that he can really tell what it was like in his experience going to war, but even maybe a little bit more specifically to go to Vietnam. And I think we're going to hear a lot of interesting things from him. So, Lee Trussell, welcome. Well, thank you, Heather. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited about telling you a little bit about my experiences uh, as a naval officer and 
as you had requested specifically uh, concerning uh, the Vietnam period. Uh, just as a starter, uh, I guess our story begins in January 1966. Your mother and I had been married about a year, and uh, uh, we were right in the middle of the Vietnam uh, War. Um, we, I was at work and received information that the um, uh, recruiting uh, notice, uh, a draft notice had come up for about 93 of us at the University of New Mexico. So I was quite concerned about that. And I got home, we had a neighbor that lived across from us in the apartment. He was a uh, naval uh, enlisted person in communications. I was telling him my story and he said, well, tomorrow morning, eight o'clock, we're gonna be at the Naval Recruiting Office. So sure enough, I was at the Naval Recruiting Office, eight o'clock the next morning. I um, experienced uh, several exams uh, including a, a brief physical and interview uh, with a young naval officer. And um, uh, I guess at that point they were, uh, they were ready to uh, accept me and I was in the Navy. Uh, one of the interesting parts is that I got home at noon and sure enough, there was my uh, draft notice in the mail. So I have a question for you. So if you had not gone that day to do the whole Navy thing and have your all your physical and be accepted into the Navy and you had gotten your draft notice, where would you have gone? Do you know? Well, it would have been Army, uh, mm. but you still had some options. But mm. this this eliminated having to make any any. Uh, other decisions. And there was some benefit for being able to go in as an officer, right? Well, yes. Well, and and uh, not necessarily benefit, but I, I thought, I mean, I clearly wanted to be an officer. Okay. And uh, certainly nothing wrong with the enlisted personnel over the years. I've had amazing uh, people that, that uh, with me in my command. So it, uh, but I did want to be an officer. So that was my opportunity. So on, uh, I guess then at that point in May of 66, I was at the Naval Officer Candidate School, Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, Jotina went back with me and as part of that adventure, uh, we ran into another couple that we knew were probably looking for OCS and, and uh, got to visiting with them and decided to join up and look for a, uh, a residence for Jotina and this this other uh, woman. Uh, we had already done a little exploring and it was going to be a difficult proposition finding something. Uh, as it turned out, we were able to find a home uh, that had three stories, was owned by a general of the um, uh, Rhode Island National Guard. And so uh, as a result of that, uh, we were able to put two couples on each floor, each with their own bedroom uh, and bath. And then there was the common living area and, and kitchen area. So it made it wonderful for the wives to be able to uh, have that company <clears throat> because we were at, we were at school the whole and, and really on the base uh, with very little exception of getting back to the, uh, back off the base. So those women really did kind of give each other 
support with all their husbands gone? Oh, absolutely. And we 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 um, really went Monday uh, Sunday afternoon through uh, through Saturday, and we got off a little bit of time Saturday afternoon, uh, early Sunday, and reported back to the base on Sunday afternoon. And then if if we'd made certain grade uh, averages, we were allowed to get off the base on Wednesday and and uh, go to the house. And we always we did that and and uh, had the pleasure of all of us being there. We ended up studying most of the time, but had some dinner and with our wives and and then back to the base. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> and then uh, December in uh, December 1966, after several schools in uh, San Diego, I joined the USS Arnold J. Isbell, uh, a destroyer in Long Beach, California. To give you a little perspective, it's always interesting to let people know, the ship uh, was 3,200 tons. It was 390 feet long, had a crew of 11 officers, and 345 enlisted personnel. <clears throat> Excuse me, compare that to an aircraft carrier, which weighs 96,000 tons. So we were, we were kind of a rowboat in the, in the ocean. We were preparing for deployment in uh, May 1967, but on January, uh, or in January, we were actually out on maneuvers off of California and we got notification that a sister ship in the squadron had gone aground uh, going into uh, uh, Midway Island and that we were immediately told to replace her. So we were back into port, um, called, called Jotina literally at 11 o'clock at night, said we're back in port, but we're leaving in three days. Oh, wow. So we... Um, we prepared the ship. We were already preparing to go to Vietnam, but uh, we did some final preparations, loaded the particular equipment on board that we needed and supplies, and um, uh, we were underway in three days for uh, for Vietnam. Well, I'm going to let you get a little drink of water because I have you going and blowing a, a whole lot in this talk. But one of the stories I remember, and I think it was with San Diego, is you all shared an apartment with some really good friends, and you shared a a record player, and so you would bang on the roof with well, a. Well, that was broom. actually back here in the U.S. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I just yeah. remember that story, and that was funny that you'd ask your friends to turn the radio up. Oh yeah, <laughs> we'd get there then. Uh, so the the uh, just real quick back. <clears throat> the first tour, we spent um, most of our time escorting carrier groups in the uh, Tonkin Gulf and conducting reconnaissance and intelligence uh, operations both off of Vietnam and off, literally off of China, Hainan mm. uh, on the opposite side of the uh, attack, uh, Gulf of Tonkin. Um, um, we we also then were involved in rescuing and covering down pilots who were flying into north of Vietnam, and then if the planes were damaged or whatnot, the the effort was to get them back over the coast, where we could pick them up 
uh, on in the water. So, so were you? Do you remember some of? The, were you able to recover many of the men, or had? Yeah, most. Uh, I, if we could get them back across the coast, then either we were involved with it or uh, helicopters or that. But mm -hmm. we were we involved. were there for cover if uh, if they needed it, and so there was a major effort to make sure we recovered our pilots. Yeah. But we needed to get them off off of the uh, off the coast into the water. So um, uh, Heather kind of asked me to to give you some some senses about a sense about uh, what it is to be uh, in the military and in combat operations. So a uh, couple things. But the uh, by the time we left, uh, Jotina was pregnant with our first child, Heather. And by the way, I did not see her until she was four months old uh, after I'd returned to the U.S. after this first tour. So one of the realizations is that deployment is really hardest on the families and, and, and the loved ones that we leave at home. When we're at sea and in particularly I can combat operations, uh, then we're busy. Uh, all the time, and so there's very little time for us to be um, particularly concerned. Uh, we were always about the families, but uh, our, our uh, it, it was a little different because we were so busy we didn't worry so much about our own safety. So is that really true? So you were busy. I, I really gather you helped me see a movie recently called Greyhound, and you said that it was a different war, but that you had done very similar things to the movie Greyhound with Tom Hanks. And so I, I gathered from that movie that you were busy all the time. And so did you really just, was there a times, were there times on the ship that when things just got whew, better and you, the conflict at hand was over for then, did you just, was that when you worried or probably, did you? Probably the only time we really uh, had a break if we were moving from one station to another, one assignment to another, and uh, maybe we were off of the coast or uh, not behind an aircraft carrier that uh, we were uh, on, on guarding their particular uh, transits. Um, so uh, it, one of the interesting things, and um, I've told Jotina this, or, or Heather this before, is that um, as a young ensign, I was assigned the Christian lay leader um, and I guess I was always amazed. I shouldn't have been, but um, I always got a lot more attendees at any church service we were able to conduct um, when we started into combat operations. And I guess I was reminded uh, at that time that uh, there's, uh, there's really no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. So that was a, a proven uh, statement. Um, so the second realization that um, that I have, and and I think this probably is a misconception of any service personnel or or military personnel, is that the uh, war is the cruelest event that you can possibly imagine, 
uh, remembering that the war's objective is to kill the enemy. Um, I was reminded of the of the sixth commandment, which says, "Thou shalt not kill." I wrote a poem at one time that might express my thoughts on this subject. Uh, and in the seventh stanza, it says, "We kill not for pleasure." Uh, we kill for pleasure, not at all, but not to see our comrades fall. So our our role is to to protect our men and women and to um, try and, and literally destroy the enemy. Um, as a combat information officer, I was most often responsible for finding targets through spotters that were in country usually setting up on a hill somewhere and spotting movements of enemy troops uh, in and out of valleys and along trails, and then ordering our ship's guns uh, to fire into those enemy positions. So our role um, in this um, in, in the second uh, deployment um, really was to provide gunfire support for U.S. and Allied troops in country along the coast and inland. Uh, we direct uh, fire on enemy supply and troop lines in country, and there were hundreds of trails coming down from the north into the south, and part of our role was to cover those trails. And then we interdict, uh, interdict and destroy enemy supply vessels, which are moving down the coast, from North Vietnam into South Vietnam, and uh, we would we would spot these vessels and and uh, and destroy them. Um, we also had an opportunity several times to engage North Vietnamese defense installations uh, along the coast and actually exchanged gunfire in some of those engagements. The reality of war is. Uh, that you do, in fact, kill the enemy. And I think that's something that maybe a lot of my generation, and we're going to get to this later, so we don't need to get it to it now, but I think a lot of my generation, I think that is a stark reality. I think that is a hard thing to swallow, you know, but we have not been, well, most of us, I, I do have some very good friends who have been in that situation, but so many of us have not been in a situation where it was kill the enemy or allow the enemy to kill you or to kill your friends and, as you put it, your comrades. And so that was, as you just said, a, a reality of the situation. And and it was. And, and, I, and again, I appreciate your observation on that, Heather, that so many people, I think, just either don't want to hear those sorts of things or just just can't imagine that that there is death in war and um, and you're going to be responsible for that uh, so uh, and you asked me to specifically talk a little bit about this I had a unique experience um, and as an assignment off of the off of the ship uh, onto the river uh, patrol boats the PBRs and uh, RPBs, I'm sorry, uh, and uh, just south of the demilitarized zone, 
a DMZ uh, between North and South Vietnam. And during that particular experience, I really got to observe some of the raw tragedy of war uh, as, uh, as we were assigned literally to expect, inspect every boat that we engaged on the river. And, uh, and we were looking for weapons and enemy supplies and, and uh, we had to be constantly alert uh, to any enemy activities. Uh, in those boats, uh, I literally stood over an elderly couple in a small boat that I knew I might have to kill if they made a hostile move. It was not unusual to have these people um, forced into, sometimes forced into uh, conducting operations for, for the North uh, Vietnamese, and they would uh, literally throw a, throw a hand grenade or some kind of bomb explosive onto the river patrol boat, which then, of course, would um, damage or, or certainly hurt people on the, on the boat. Um, one of the fondest memories I have, though, I witnessed a Navy corpsman, uh, Lance Boyle, and, uh, and administer medication to a 13-year-old uh, girl uh, whose parents had brought her to our boat because of that of that illness, and um, the corpsman was able to patch her up and send she and her family on their way, and and I'm sure the medication uh, continued the healing in that process. Um, another kind of fun, not fun necessarily, but I uh, entered a marine fortification at the. Quaviet River, which was right at the DMZ, and uh, literally we could observe a North Vietnamese flag flying about uh, two miles back into the into the uh, countryside. Um, going into that fort, we followed a minesweeper up the river, uh, literally to make sure that there were no floating mines in the river that we might. Uh, run into, and uh, once inside the compound, that we were uh, in, in kind of enjoyable to, or not enjoyable, but interesting. The the compound would build a mess hall, and uh, and they get just get the mess hall finished, and the North Vietnamese would fire rockets in there and destroy the mess hall. So literally they'd start over the next day building the new mess hall. So just for those people who weren't raised in a military home, a mess hall is like the cafeteria. Cafeteria, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, <clears throat> once we got the boats up into that area, then we literally parked them uh, running, heading out, uh, just in case we had to get out of there in, in a hurry, lack of a better word. You know, I want to tell you real quick that I didn't discuss this stuff with you when I was young. And Alan, my now husband of 30 years, he came over to our house on one of our very first dates. And he and I left for dinner and whatever else we were doing. 
And he said, wow, your dad had such an interesting naval career. And he went on these boats, those boats that went up the river. He was on them. He spent the entire dinner telling me all about your naval career. And I had never thought about asking any of that. So on my husband's very first meeting with you, he, he got to hear all about that. And I think I remember you saying that there were a few times that you went up on those boats and you were the only one or one of the only ones that came back? Oh, no, no. no. The, we we usually operated alone, but but oh. th- the, those boats were particularly vulnerable because it was like you going up a street in the city of Albuquerque with uh, bamboo uh, eight feet tall on each side of the street, mm-hmm. and you're going up that narrow river mm-hmm. um, looking for these these and they're looking boats, for you and they're looking for us <laughs> and so um it, it they uh, quite often they were attacked and and uh, we lost a lot of people on those boats just because they were so vulnerable uh, as targets for the enemy so so what was it like when mm. you got home well that's probably the most most disappointing and and uh uh, disheartening thing uh, that I've ever experienced uh, was returning home uh, really to a very vicious uh, hatred for the American service men and women. Um, we were despised, spit on. Um, I was called a baby killer uh, numerous times. When I, uh, when I knew our mission really was worthy of that sacrifice, um, and I guess uh, I've since been constantly reminded of the hostility, um, but what I call the peace symbol, which so many people see today, and you'll find them on T-shirts and flags and cars and that sort of thing. But but I can tell you from my own experience and from, I'm sure, a lot of my uh, fellow service men and women, is that that symbol is so offensive uh, that I cringe every time I see it. And so it's it's something that I'm I'm just not so if I, I under- don't encourage. So I under if I understand right, that symbol for you represents the people <clears throat> that were so hate filled when you got back. Well it was and and in my mind a misjudgment of of what we were trying to do, and it and it was simple enough to to flaunt that out in the public, and and yet it it was it was so critical by its nature and and represented that that uh, literally that hatred and and uh, and disrespect for for people who had. Put their, their yeah. right. put their life on the lines. Yeah, put their life on the lines and and put their life on hold. That's un- right. Yeah. Until their tour or tours, in your case, <laughs> were finished. Yes. So. so. So anyway. So. Okay, I have a question for you. I ask all of my guests, "Where did you see God in this situation?" And. You and I have talked about God over the years quite a bit. And so I cannot wait to hear what you want to say about 
where was God when you were in Vietnam? Where was he in the midst of battle? Well, let's, at, and, and you're right, Heather, we've talked a lot about this. Uh, of course, there's never been any question in my mind that God exists. Um, and, and I guess I, I don't believe there's really any place or any time that God is not more present uh, than when you're in some kind of combat or, or, or dangerous situation. Uh, and while you may not be conscious of that thought, and, and you may not be uh, sitting there entering into prayer, I think it's, it's, it's that sense of reassurance and, and faith uh, that you have in that, in that entity and in that relationship that probably uh, certainly comforts, uh, comforts you in, in the particular position. Well, that's awesome. So I have a couple more questions. First of all, I'd like to ask you, what would you say to the new generation of men and women who are going into combat situations? Do you have any advice for them? Well, I, I, you know, it's awfully hard because until you see that, that there's almost no way to to um, really identify it or really explain it. And so uh, I think the most important thing is they have a job to do and they need to go do that job. And, and some of them are going to be more risky than others. And, and, uh, and some of them will, will end in death for individuals uh, that you may know, or in some cases in your, in your own life. So um, there, there has to be an understanding that again, war is a terrible thing. Uh, no, you won't find an individual, a, a military personnel who loves war. That's that's wrong. They don't love war because they they know the terror of it and know how 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 just overwhelmingly cruel uh, it can be. So they're the last one. That would actually want really want to go to war. war. That's correct. Yes. I remember you saying that to me growing up because people would say that one president or another just was a warmonger and he loved war. And you would stop me right there and you'd tell me there is no person who has ever been to war that likes war. That's war is horrible. That's right. And That's so right. it's the military people who are often going to be the ones that are going to fight so hard to keep from having a war. Exactly. And, and we'll, yeah, literally make every effort to avoid that. So I know, actually, I probably should have my mom in here for the next question. But what would you say for families of those people who are going to war or going into the military? Well, as I mentioned to you before, that the most difficult uh, part of, of a relationship with somebody who is in the military is if that person goes off uh, to war or off to military assignments that, that may put them in danger, is the people left at home are the ones that have the greatest fear and anxiety. Because if you're in, in the minute somewhere you're so busy that you do not have time 
to think about being afraid, and and everybody is, or being um, uh, worried about about not even not getting back or that sort of thing, while the person at home is fretting that they are afraid for you and they want you back home, yeah. and so it's and that's an everyday constant. Um, uh, fear of of people that are at home, knowing that their loved one is in danger somewhere in the world. Hmm. So, what would you say is the right thing for someone of my generation or any generation, for that matter? What should we say to military people? You know, it's very. You know, I I, I have. Don't know that I've ever told you this, but I've sometimes felt bad that through the conflict and through the war you were in, I think America learned a lesson. I think America learned that people can be against a war but still support military people. And so now it's pretty common to say, thank you for your service. Is that the right thing for people to tell someone? Thank you is is the thing to say, and and because, uh, and that goes for really uh, a lot of first responders, police officers, uh, people that we're experiencing now in hospitals. Thank you uh, for your service, and thank you for being there, uh, so the rest of us can be at peace. <laughs> Absolutely. So, last question, I think. Is there anything that we shouldn't do? Is there anything that we shouldn't say? Can you think of anything that's probably a no? No, I can't. I can't think of anything. I think the recognition, uh, and and you still get some people who will... Um, be negative. Be negative, make offensive comments or gestures or, or whatever. I don't think you see it as, as, often. as much today as... as we did during the Vietnam period, uh, certainly. But um, uh, the main thing is to appreciate those people who are willing to risk their lives uh, so that we can live as a free society. You know, one of the things I did learn more recently from some of my friends who are in the military is that on Memorial Day that we celebrate in May, quite often people acknowledge veterans who are still alive. And I had a friend that say, no, 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 no. Memorial Day is for our comrades who have passed. Veterans Day is for all of us who are still here. What well, do you think about that? I think that's the, would be the, probably the correct definition. But I think any time uh, that, that you have an opportunity to pay respect to the military, whether it's there's it's never a bad time Memorial to pay Day or Veterans Day or Fourth uh, of July, uh, that you take that opportunity to recognize and appreciate them. That's wonderful. Well, I know that I learned things today. Honestly, for those of you who are listening, yes, this is my dad, but I learned things today. I had never heard the story of the of you with that elderly couple. So that is, or the little girl that that got help and how much that was helpful to you. And every episode, I think the purpose of every episode is to see the real stories of real people 
and see how no matter how difficult that story could be, that God was in the middle of it. And so I am so glad that you saw God intertwined so powerfully in your life during the combat situation and how you carried that home with you and have really made that part of your life. And so thank you so much for coming. Well, thank you, Heather. Thank you for joining us for Graceful Stories, where we get the opportunity to see the grace of our Heavenly Dad in the real stories of our guests. I would like to thank our guest today, Captain Lee Trussell, United States Navy retired, and my dad, for sharing his story and helping us see how Jesus can be seen so powerfully in the midst of such difficulty, even difficulty as hard to fathom as war. If you have any questions or would like to share your story, message us and we will get right back with you. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe so that you never miss a story. And stay tuned next time to hear what it feels like to get a cancer diagnosis twice. Until next time, my friends, put your faith in Jesus because God's got this.